I would say that my relationship with the Macintosh company right now would be tenuous at best. The, uh, the computer crash in Minneapolis, which will now be deemed as the, uh, we already had the great crash of 07, so I don't even know what we call this one. It's like the perfect storm. So I, uh, I thought about, I had all kinds of thoughts into the Mac store because I needed it to get fixed and quickly. And <laughs> my first thought was murder-suicide. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just saying it. Because I thought that if I would do that, that would get, you know, I'd get on the news and I could make a statement about how Mac is not what everybody says it is, you know. And, but then uh, a friend of mine pointed out that uh, I wouldn't actually get to see myself on the news. So that's kind of a flaw in the plan. So then I thought about taking hostages, right? You know, in the mall of America. Until I get to, and all I wanted, to, like my list of demands was just to be able to tell, you know, that, that Apple sucks. That was really all I needed to say. Uh, but I didn't have a weapon, and so that didn't really work out either. So, I, yeah, I, all that to say, it's still my computer is down, and I've spent a lot of time talking to people in, in other countries about my uh, about my problems, and, and boy, they're really, really, really sorry about them. And that's about all they are. Like, we're really sorry, sir. Uh, so all that to say, I had to kind of start over, which is probably not a bad thing, but start over for tonight because I'm we're going off of the backup computer, uh, which is that beast right there. Um, for the notes, so we'll see how it goes. Revelation 2. Anybody got your Bibles with you? Revelation chapter 2. If you're new to the Lord, that's at the back of the book. Go to the uh, concordance and turn left. Pretty easy to find. It is not contrary to uh, popular belief written by uh, Tim LaHaye, the guy that wrote the Left Behind movies. Anybody see Left Behind? Yes. You can admit it. We're safe. Nobody's going to make fun of you here. We saw it. Where's my big marker? Here it is, right here. Okay. So last week, um, I got too much stuff, right? So last week... Uh, we started Revelation chapter 2, okay? So if you're just new to this, you didn't miss much, right? The first chapter, so. Um, but we started Revelation chapter 2. Jenna, could you get me a, uh, like a paper towel or something so I could wipe off my handiwork here? Revelation 2. I brought my whiteboard with me so that I could feel collegiate. So, you know, uh, next week I'm going to have a pipe and then we're, uh, the package will be complete. But for now, all I could find was my, was my whiteboard. Last week we talked about... Uh, the first church, which is Ephesus, right? Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are honestly the most important chapters in this entire book because they're the only chapters that are really written for the church. They're the, they're the chapters that are written for you and for I. I don't know if you guys read, I'm, I'm, I'm positive if I were to ask for a showing of hands, that how many of you guys have read the book of Daniel? Probably every one of you would raise your hands, right? Because everybody loves Daniel. No, um, the fact is, is most of us probably wouldn't, right? But the, the thing that you've got to remember when you're reading the book of Revelation, in fact, if you, if you want some homework this week, and who doesn't love homework, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go back and read the book of Daniel, right? And you'll be sufficiently weirded out and sufficiently like, what? Uh, but as you read it through it, and then we come back and, and look in Revelation, you see things that you didn't know before. You're like, you know, this all of a sudden makes sense. But one of those things is in Daniel 9. And there's this thing where you read it and you'll think, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. 
And it talks about 70 weeks for Jacob, for, for Israel. And it, it actually goes on and says that each of these weeks represents a seven-year period. And as you look at history, what you see is that there are these 69 weeks, these 69 seven-year periods that are already taken care of, that are already done. And then there's this mysterious gap between the 69th and the 70th week, okay? And, and most of you guys at this point, you're, the wires are starting to crackle, so hang on. The 70th week, the 70th seven-year period that's been missing is one that's still to come. And it's what I believe is the seven-year period that we, you know, that how Lindsay got rich on is the, the, the Great Tribulation period. It's the whole thing, that, the whole left-behind movie, so, right? That's what Kirk Cameron has banged his entire comeback on was this, this last week, okay? But the 69th week between there and, and, and then is this gap that I think is the church age, okay? And that what that means is that the, the church age is not infinite. There is a beginning and there is an end. And there is a person probably on the face of this earth today, but there is a person somewhere that is the, the, that is the last person that is the, to be part of the body of Christ. Revelation, I mean, Romans 8 talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, okay? You and me as Gentiles, most of us, I'm assuming, if there's any Jewish people, I apologize, but if you're not Jewish, you as Gentile, okay? So we as Gentiles, eventually that cup is full, okay? It's a big cup, it's like a big gulp, you know what I'm saying? Like the big big one. But once it's there and it's full, then we're done and we're out of here, okay? And that last person, in fact, if you happen to be here tonight and you have not accepted the Lord, and that's you just, if you don't mind accepting the Lord tonight so we can get this over with, I would appreciate it. But once that happens and it's done, then the time of the Gentile is full. The cup is full, right? You follow me? And then this 70th week happens. Now, that 70th week, that seven-year period, the Great Tribulation period, we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But for tonight, as you open the book of Revelation, you cannot get past the fact that chapters 2 and 3... I mean, a lot of people like to skip on to the blood, the billows, the boils. I understand that it sells movies and it's kind of exciting. But when you skip over chapters 2 and 3, what you're really doing is skipping over really the two chapters that are relevant to you and I right now in this world. Because what it is are these, Paul, or John is writing this letter to these seven churches. The book of Revelation that we hold in our hands today was actually a separate book, a separate letter that was written to these seven churches. Each one of them got a copy of this letter. Each one of them had a private message or a public message that was specifically and personally for them. And that's what chapters 2 and 3 are, okay? And last week, what was the church? Does anybody remember? I'll help you. It was Ephesus. I only say that because just in case you weren't listening, that way it makes me feel like a better teacher. You know, if you don't remember. Um, the church of Ephesus was what the first letter opened up with. And that's what we went over last week. And remember the book of Ephesians, right? Maybe you haven't read the book of Daniel, but you've read maybe Ephesians? No? Ephesians was that church. It was the church of, at Ephesus. And as we looked at this, and as we look at the books that are coming, we understand that the name Ephesus actually has a meaning. Like Darren, for instance, means great one. I kid you not, by the way. That's what it means. I don't, but I, here's the thing. I think that somebody somewhere in America has made up the, the, you don't talk about those little plaques that say your name and the meaning by it. Like, who knows? I mean, n nobody knows that. Like, Darren means great one. I mean, you're kidding me? But it, it sells, like, you know, <laughs> like, there, you never see one that says, you know, uh, like, Darren means, like, you know, sucky one. You know, like, because that doesn't sell plaques, right? But you see, you got to make up really good ones for it. But, but these names, actually, in the original Greek, do have meaning, okay? This one meant darling, right? 
Oh, darling. It was like a, a little pet name, so to speak. Darling. And what's amazing about that, and you're like, Darren, what is, why does that even matter? So what's amazing about it, why it matters, is that the message inside this letter will actually have to do with the meaning of the name. The Bible is amazing, gang. Like, it absolutely freaks me out kind of amazing. Because each one of these letters, when you see the name, when you see the meaning, it's actually going to then have something to do with the actual message to that church, okay? It also has to do with the church that it's talking to ecclesiastically, because not only... I always say this right. Not only is it to this, like the church at Franklin, right, to the conduit, like that kind of a letter, it also speaks of a time in church history as well. And the name is relevant to that as well. This actually speaks of a time that was somewhere around 50 AD to 100 AD, okay? That original church that after the book of Acts was done, and that's important because by this time, even by 50, only 30 years after Jesus is off the scene, the church is already screwing up, okay? Already blowing it. I think that's important because when you're looking at a model for church, when you're looking at what should church really be, how should we behave, how should we live, you can't point to church history, okay? And that's important because you'll hear from time to time, somebody will say, well, you know, well, look, they were barking back in, you know, wherever phase of church history, so we can bark in the spirit. You think it's crazy, but you know what I'm saying? The only model, when you can look at it and say, this is how the church was meant to be, was in the book of Acts. And so, if you, you know, we've talked about it, you know, at length before, but if it's not in the Word, if it's not how they were doing it in Acts, then there's really, everything else is extra at that point. You know what I mean? You don't have to add to it. And so, by this time, the church was already kind of blown, and you can't look to that church and say, well, because church history does it, then we can justify it that way. Does that make sense? So, Ephesus means darling. It was talking about them that had forsaken. Remember this part? And you guys have all heard it. You probably heard it at a good church camp at some point in your life. But they had forsaken their first love. And I say that about church camp because that was always the good one for the rededication moments, you know. Right after you got everybody to get down and get saved, they were all crying. And it's like, now if you first... And actually what, we, what you probably heard quoted was that you've lost your first love, you know. That's not what it says, though. It says they had forsaken. They had walked away from it. And why that's important to us is that love, not only is a great DC talk song, love is a verb. Love really is it. Like, that is, that's it. What we do. And, and, and we've defined it in this weird thing where it's kind of like this, you know, it's the, you know, do you like me, like me, you know, check yes or no kind of love. It's different than that. It's this profound, agape, don't expect anything in return love. It's that feeling that maybe we did have at a church camp at some point, that passion for the Lord that we have, that eventually we walk away from. And when we walk away from it, almost always it happens in the same way. It happened in the way that it happened to this church at Ephesus. Because it says what in chapter 2? That they were doing really good with their good works. They were working hard. They were really busy with all this emotion, you know. But they had lost the emotion behind it. Lots of motion, no emotion. They were passionate about solid doctrine, about the word, about what we do here. You know, that's what we do. We're all about the word here. They were passionate about that. And we talked about it when, when Paul was getting ready to go get his head chopped off in Rome, you know, right before he left, he talked to the, the church at Ephesus and said, hey, look, you guys are doing great, but be really careful because there's going to be guys who are going to come in with false doctrine. you got to look out for them. So they looked out for them. They were doing great. They were busy with their good works, 
busy with their studying of the word and they lost their passion. They lost their love. And why is that important? Because Jesus said, if you don't go back to that, then I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to walk out of it. And that's important because wherever there's not love, Jesus is basically saying, I'm not there. Everything else is like a clanging symbol, right? If there's no love in it, then Jesus ain't there. Everything is about growing out of love. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're in love with somebody, the, the things that you're doing for them or to them comes out of the love, not to make yourself love them, not to earn love from them. It's about, this is all just a, a, a response to that love. Does this make sense? So he says, you know, sincerely, John, and then he moves on to the church at Smyrna. Now this is right off of I-24, right over by the catfish house, the church at Smyrna. Smyrna is the next church. And if, if you don't mind, I want to read that to you. And if you do mind, just close your eyes and look back in a minute. Verse 8. The angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you were rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a, a synagogue of Satan. Satan. Satan? Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Smyrna was a church that was about 30 miles north of Ephesus. And if you were to look at all these churches on a map, you see that they actually would make a circle. And it was a postal route circle. Amazing because the Lord was able to take these churches in this very specific order, in this very specific thing, and be able to say, even, I'm in the midst of the church. But what he was saying to Smyrna was, this is a church that was probably more than any other church history teaches us, was being persecuted. Okay, now Ephesus, I mean, any church at this moment was being persecuted. But Smyrna had a very specific, uh, exacting persecution going on against it. So much so that the Jewish people that were in that community, who were, you know, kind of tired of being persecuted themselves, you know, it's recorded that they were actually, their persecution was to basically go to the Romans and say, hey, look, they're down there eating flesh, they're drinking blood, it's like a bunch of vampires and all creepy. And in, in a sense, actually taking their persecution off of the Jewish community and retargeting it towards the Christian community, okay? Now, this is important because this church actually existed, but it represents a period in church history that was somewhere around 100 AD to around 312 AD, okay? The word Smyrna, which, by the way, does actually have a fascinatingly good catfish house, Smyrna, Tennessee, this one did not, means myrrh. Has anybody heard the word myrrh before? Myrrh? Remember the record label myrrh? Myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice. Now what's amazing about myrrh is that it only works, that it only functions, that it only receives its job, so to speak, when it's being crushed. Okay? It's that you crush it up, and then when you do that, it brings up this you know, aromatic thing. You know, they didn't have glade, you know what I'm saying back then? Like they didn't have the little the little spice things that you'd stick into the wall, you know. They had to use different things in that, and so myrrh was one of those things. Now myrrh, which is brought about by crushing, 
would have been very interesting to these folks because again, when these guys were getting this letter, this was a church hearing from their pastor, right? And what does he say? Like he opens up with this line to them. These are the words of him who, are, who is first and last, who died and came to life again. This was a church that was being murdered, being massacred. You know, we've talked about this before, but this was the same kind of churches where they were being hauled out and burned alive, you know, being dipped in wax and then, you know, tied up to a pole and burned so they could light up the, you know, light up the guy's Nero's uh, uh, courtyard, like big giant, uh, what are those lamps that you buy that you put on your pool? Tiki torches, like giant tiki torches, human tiki torches. They were being crushed. So when they hear this word from Jesus saying, hey, you know what? I was dead and now I'm alive. They're beginning to understand that Jesus really does get it. That Jesus really understands where they're at. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Poverty because, you know, in this day and age, like when you, there was actually a big article in the Williamson AM this morning about Christians who own businesses and how they put, you know, like Christian realty or, you know, nine fruits. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But there's a big article about it because that actually has made them more successful in our community. You know, the guy that, that was talking about this real estate company, he was told by all of his peers, don't do that because you're going to, you know, probably hurt your business. And he's saying that his business is exploding from it. This was a different world then. If they would have put the little fish on their business card, you know, down at... Uh, <laughs> Aurelio's tent making it would have been bad for them because in that day if you were a Christian you were cut out of financially not only were you being massacred were your friends and family being murdered and persecuted financially speaking once you became a Christian you were cut out of the loop this was a prosperous city Smyrna was right in the middle of the trade route okay but the Christians were poor and that's what Jesus is saying to him. I know you were poor, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. It's important to look at that and understand that that is not a statement, an indictment against the Jewish people as a whole. I was watching the History Channel like last night, which is kind of embarrassing that I would watch the History Channel on a Saturday night. So officially married and old. <laughs> But on the History Channel, they had the history of the KKK. These guys are whack jobs, okay? In Pulaski, Tennessee, not very far from here is where this thing was started, but they used the Bible, all right? This is all about Jesus and white people. I don't know if they really understood that Jesus wasn't white. I didn't, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but... Or that Jesus was Jewish, which I feel like is the ultimate irony. <laughs> in that They're anti-Semitic. They hate the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, but anyway... The point being that the Word of God sometimes is used to twist those things. This is not saying that all Jewish people are evil, that we can hate the Jews. It's saying that there was a specific group of Jewish people who were, just like the ones that offered Jesus to be crucified, this group here that says they are Jews, but they're not. They're the synagogue of Satan, it says. And you can't say that that is every Jewish person that we hate. No more than we can say that every Christian person should be blamed for the, the things that happened in our name, for the people that conquered with a cross on their shield and murdered innocent people, right? So it's not that, and don't let anyone ever tell you it is. It says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful 
even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, from the time of this writing to the time of 312 ADs, ADs, AD, ADD, there were 10 Roman emperors who came to power, who were specifically and very uh, intricately involved in murdering Christians, our brothers and our sisters. Millions upon millions of these guys, starting with Nero and ending with a guy named Diocletian. Okay, next time you're in your you know Bible history class, you can be you know you can at least impress your prof that you knew that name. Ten waves of persecution that came against these guys. Now, what's interesting to me is this: that he didn't say, "Be faithful, and I'm going to swoop in and save you," at the last minute. He said, "Be faithful, even to the point of death." And I got to tell you, that kind of bums me out. If I'm being honest, be faithful even to the point of death. I would much rather Jesus have said to say, hey, be faithful, and at the last minute I'm going to come in and do the old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing on him. Right? He didn't say that. He says, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death crushing. This was a church that was being crushed. There's a group of people that were being crushed all over this time. Jesus was saying to these guys, I was there, I've been there, I've done that, bought the t-shirt. And I think that what's important for me is to understand that in America, Pain is what we do everything to avoid, okay? I work out with Ben. He understands I do not like pain, right? I'm not even remotely fond of pain. Anything that comes close to pain. I'm anti-pain. I'm not pro-pain. I'm, I'm anti-pain. <laughs> but understand something crystal clear. Because this helps me to understand when I watch the news and I see that our brothers and our sisters in Sudan that missionaries, you know, in World Vision right now in, in Rwanda are being evacuated because of three of them that were murdered last month, okay? Initially, that makes me say to the Lord, what, what up? Like, seriously, can you not? I mean, you can make it rain turtles. Can you not save these guys? You know what I mean? I don't, maybe this doesn't frustrate you, but it frustrates me until I understand... <laughs> That there's this bigger picture going on. That this, on this grand scale of what the Lord is doing in our world, I won't understand it until I actually get to heaven. The Bible says what that I'm, I, right now I see through a, 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 a mirror that's all foggy. It says that in Corinthians. And if you have like one of those bathrooms with an extremely heated you know, shower, you understand what that means. You get out and... And in my case, it's actually good news that I can't see myself. But you know, I'm like looking at this foggy image so I can pretend I'm all ripped. But I don't see it clearly. Now, the problem is with me, and maybe this is the problem with you, is I actually think I do see it clearly. I think I got it all figured out. And I don't. And nor do you. And when we get to heaven, I'm going to understand it. I'm going to get it. It's going to make sense. It's just that right now, it doesn't really make sense. But what Jesus is saying to this church... And I think what Jesus would say to our church is that while I appreciate all of the, the people that are rich and 
and, and the big mega things that are going on, all the money that we're spending, all these great things. The, the most successful the church has ever been, the most successful that the church is right now on the face of the earth is not in America. It's in China. It's in India. It's in places where there is a crushing that's going on. People that are dying for their faith. I don't know how it works that way. I don't even know why it works that way. But for some reason, in that environment, the church prospers. Because this church right now that was being literally murdered by the millions over this couple of hundred you know, of years, blew up. It exploded. It is the church. It's the reason we have a church today. Whatever the enemy meant, because it says that the devil was going to do this to them. Right? The devil did it. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that if the devil's doing it, then the Lord is allowing it. How that, I don't know, you know, how that all works. And the good news is I don't have to because Job, what if you read the book of Job? I, I didn't used to read it because it disagreed with my theology. But when you got to the end of Job, Job's saying, hey, God, what, what up? And if you look at the end, God doesn't even tell him what up. What does God do? He reads him his resume. Did you hang the stars in the sky? I mean, listen, why don't you put your, uh, your, your Sunday clothes on and go do my job? He doesn't tell him why. This is basically trust him. And so what I would say to you and I at Conduit Bible Study in Franklin, Tennessee on this night is this. Whatever personal crushing that's going on in your life, okay? Whatever personal thing that's happening that you don't understand, you don't get, don't run from it. Don't try to mask it. Don't try to cover it up or fill it up with something else. Myrrh is used in the Bible three times in the New Testament in regards to Jesus. Once was when he was born, right? He, they said he brought him, what, gold, which is a gift that you would give to a king. It brought him frankincense, which was a gift. It was, it was uh, incense that would be used for a priest, okay? So gold, it's, it's amazing, by the way. Again, the Bible is so amazing. Gold for a king, incense for a priest, and myrrh, which was a burial spice, which might have seemed initially like a really strange gift, like buying someone a coffin. Hey, here's your housewarming gift. Enjoy this lovely coffin. I got it at Costco. You use it as a planter. But he gave him myrrh. It was also at the end of Jesus' career here on earth, when they brought myrrh to the tomb that day, Mary and Martha. But the tomb was empty. They wouldn't need myrrh that day, would they? But there's another obscure reference to where Jesus and myrrh come together. How many, do you, how many of you remember the moment of Jesus on the cross and they gave him something, they offered him something to drink? Does anybody remember that? Remember what it was? It was vinegar. But there was a moment... It, few verses early in Mark 15, 21, where they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. I'd always confused it thinking that he had turned away, and that's what I've seen it in all the Jesus movies, where he turned away when they offered him the, the vinegar on the thing, and he, ah, he doesn't want it, you know, because who, you know, who wants vinegar, right? <laughs> By the way, that is an excellent discipline tool for your children. We learned it from the girl from Facts of Life, Lisa Welchel. No, no, it was, anyway. If, if they get a little mouthy in the spankings, because Lauren doesn't like, like she's got the highest tolerance to pain ever. My, 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 my uh, youngest daughter, she would thank us for her spankings when she was like two. Thank you, all better now. I swear. I mean, thank you, all better. 
Like, what do you do to that, you know? And I'll tell you what you do, you give them a little squirt of vinegar in their mouth and that, that changed for life right there. <laughs> and ours for the better. But anyway, um, of course Jesus turned down vinegar, but that's not what it was. That's not what the word said. That's, uh, that's what the Jesus movies say, but that's not what the word said. He turned down wine and myrrh. The wine and the myrrh mixed together was what they used as like, you know, like in Civil War when they would bite a bullet and, you know, drink a, a shot of Jack Daniels to ease the pain. That was the Roman version of the uh, biting the bullet. Wine and myrrh mixed together. Jesus was offered this before his crucifixion to desensitize him to the pain. And Jesus said, no thanks. To Mark 15, verses 21 through probably 25-ish. He said, no thanks. And I think to you and to me, <coughs> and whatever this means to you personally, whatever it means to me personally, let it just sink in. Too often, I think, that when we're in the middle of something that's stressing us out, that we want to run from it. We want to maybe take some pills and make it not feel so badly. We want to go and watch some TV so I don't have to think about it anymore. We want to not go through that. And I think that like the church at Smyrna, that the conduit, you and I personally, that when that point of crushing is on our lives that it brings out this if we let it do its work, if we don't run from it if we don't embrace it we won't really experience what the Lord has for us which is this, as the myrrh was crushed, otherwise it's just you know, some little granules but once it was crushed it's still myrrh but the myrrh becomes this amazing, this beautiful, this fascinating thing that smells amazing. Incense in the Lord's nostrils will be prayed to him. It talks about in Revelation. We're going to talk about it later. But you guys are all, for the most part, young enough where things that stress you out seem like they're the whole world. There's that Brad Paisley song, right? I don't know if you've heard it recently, if I could write a letter to me. And he talks about this moment, for all of you, or I'm a closet country fan, okay, I'm sorry. I just apologize, but right now. But he talks about writing this letter to himself when he's 17, and I thought about when I was 17, the things that seemed so huge to me, like I'm kind of embarrassed about now, you know, it's like, but then it was like massive, and that's all I could think about. And I want you to know that the things that you're thinking about in your 20s, I have those same memories of thinking. Well, if I really knew it was coming down the pipeline, that wouldn't have seemed nearly so bad. And I'm sure that at 36, knocking on the door at 37, I can see it just up there, over the hill, 37. That there are things that I'm experiencing and I face right now that when I'm 50 will seem kind of silly to me. The reality of it is, is though right now in your life, there are things though that they seem so big. And I just want you to know that the Lord who's looking way ahead understands because he sees the future. He sees how it's going to work out. He sees it's going to be okay. And our moment of faith is just trusting that. That whatever the devil is putting you or I through personally, even though right now I can see that's all it is right in front of my face and it's bumming me out, it's freaking me out, it's stressing me out, that I can relax knowing that that crushing, that feeling, because it's real, okay? It's, you feel it, it's real to you. But that crushing is what brings out this spice, this beautiful aroma from you. It makes you who you are. 
Otherwise, you are an unused vessel, useless. The myrrh is just useless until it goes to the crushing, okay? That's it. And this morning, if you guys get a chance and get it to go to journeyecclesia.com this week and download the teaching from this week about the prodigal son, it was amazing to me because I'd never seen it from this angle before. But that young man had to go through that process and I never thought about it before. This guy, the prodigal son, remember that this little story? Of, we'll, we'll get the flannel graphs out if you don't. But He left his father. And the part that really stood out to me when I read it was this kid walked away from his dad. He took his inheritance. He blows through it all. And not only does he blow through all of his money, then there's a famine on top of it. It's the perfect storm of stupidity that has formed over this kid's life. And it says that he, he was hungry and nobody would give him anything. And it's... What happened was because he didn't get his needs met at that point, he went through that that crushing, if you will, that journey. That was the very thing that drove him back to the father. At that moment, had anybody have actually given him a meal or given him a place to stay, maybe he wouldn't have gone back to his father. And so you and I personally, maybe we're not running away from the father physically, but spiritually, those things that happen in our lives that we don't understand, that I don't get it, and it irritates me, and I want it to be done, drive us back to the Father. That pain is what actually takes us through to the Father. Just like when I'm at the gym tomorrow morning, and Ben's beating the crap out of me and yelling at me, straighten your back. I would if I could. Um, <laughs> That thing that I've been trying to avoid for all of these years is the thing that takes me back to the goal of being fit. It hurts. It sucks. I mean, I, I honestly thought I was going to need a handicapped bathroom in my bar last week after Legs Day because I'm like, if I sit down there, I'm never getting up again. I, it's, it sure as it is. You better bring in like lunch and everything because I'm here for the rest. But I apologize for that mental picture. But the pain is what takes us to that side. And I, I don't know, but I guess I just, whatever that's worth to you guys, don't medicate yourself out of it. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it's not there. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that it, it denotes a holding on to it and embracing of it and a carrying it with you. Not throwing it in the wagon behind you and making it easy. Not saying I'll be back in a little bit, you know. Embrace it and walk with it. And that thing that happens personally in our lives, when we do that, not only does it help us on this side of, 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 of the kingdom, but he says, and he makes this promise to you and to me, he says, then I'm going to reward you with a crown of life. I'm so short-sighted. I think about my life. I think about what I want to accomplish. I think about, you know, the things that we're doing on this side of heaven, our house, my family. I think about, I think, like, this is the goal or something. But it's not the goal. And growing up in a, in a church where it was all about, you know, there's a lot of that prosperity thing that was preached. That was all about, you know, they would, I would hear guys say this. Oh, it's not in some sweet by and by moment. It's for right now. Like the sweet by and by was a, was like a downplay. Like that's it. I mean, when you think about eternity on, on a scale of what eternity really is, 
I like to think about it, especially about a marker. Think about this as we as I land this thing right now. A scale of eternity right now. This is not to scale, by the way, okay? But let's say this is like 10 million years, which is a time that we just seriously cannot even conceive of, okay? Seriously. I was reading this other day that if you were doing 477 million years, okay? If you were to, I read this in some random book that, you know, if, if you were to go 477 million years, you know, in time, if you were to go uh, 10 years a second, it would take you 16 years to get to that moment. Okay, this, that, you can't even conceive of this in your mind, but if you did conceive of it, like your life doesn't even register. It's like, doesn't even make a blip on the screen. And we're spending all of our energy about that blip, about that moment. And it doesn't even register on this big scale. I mean, think about that for a minute. Let your mind just blow up right now at 10 million years from now. Your mind can't conceive of it. Which is what I think the Lord meant when he says, you know, I has not seen, yours not heard. We just don't get it. We just can't. But we spend all this energy on this moment. And Jesus says that what we're doing here even, when we're, the crushing that we go through, when we're going on missions trips, when, you know, you're suffering, when Philip is puking his guts out this <laughs> summer in Haiti, which by the way is another great weight loss program, but um, <laughs> missions trips are a great weight loss. Um, it's where we forge that is, what, is where the rewards, where our eternity comes from. And just, by the way, and this is, seriously, we're, this is the exit sign right now. Okay, we're taking the exit. Slowing down. It just hit me, you know, not long ago, the whole idea of love. You know, if, if it's about falling in love with the Lord, it's about that. What does that really look like in our life? Okay? And I know it's about spending time with Him. It's about all those things that we would think it would be. But it hit me the other day. The falling in love, I mean, when you're, I remember when I was hiking a mountain, when I was in Guatemala, it was actually a volcano, an active volcano, thank God we didn't die, but that day we did something that I thought was physically impossible, I mean, it was like storming, it was not so, and I built a bond on that mountain with the folks that I was with that was deep and profound because we were basically hanging on for dear life so we didn't die. There's no better, like, it's not a good place to die, Guatemala volcano. But, but what I'm getting at is this. If you're looking for how you fall in love with the Lord, okay? There's a reason why military guys, we just went through Veterans Day. It's what kind of made me start thinking about this process. We spend all this money, all this time, all this energy and effort on going to conferences and camps and things to build our relationship with the Lord. And I do, I'm not prepared to say that those are wrong. I'm not prepared to say that if you're going to church camp and you're going to do that, you know, the church camp high and get, you know, get saved and then you're going to, you know, write everybody for the rest of your life and then, and then you fall away. I'm not saying that necessarily that's wrong. But I'm saying that there's a principle that the, that the military has figured out, okay? There's a reason why if you're a Marine and you use the word Semper Fi with another Marine, they understand that that means something. The movie Band of Brothers, because that bond was built in battle. It was built in suffering, it was built in crushing, and it's a bond that can't be broken. And so, as you're going into this year, I want to encourage you to think about serving the Lord in that kind of a way. Don't don't wait until that moment when it's right. We're going to have some opportunities to go and serve the folks at Place of Hope. We're going to go to Haiti again next summer. If you want to build your relationship with the Lord, if you want to fall more in love with the Lord, if you want to have that moment where Jesus says to you, yeah, you know what? You haven't forsaken your first love. You're back again. Man, 
and I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I think maybe you RevGen guys have got a taste of this because you've left your families, you're surfing in the trenches, you're dealing with kids on the front line whose lives are absolutely, you know, without the Lord, irreparable. That's the kind of thing that makes you fall in love with the Lord, bonding together with those things. And I hope that we can get a taste of that, us personally a conduit of what you guys already have a taste of, what Philip and the guys that have been to Haiti have had a taste of. Think about that for a minute when you're getting ready to plan out your next year. Maybe, maybe you need to get on the front lines a little bit. Maybe when we make the announcement of when we're going to go down to Place of Hope and help those folks or the, the homeless ministry on Friday night or Haiti next summer, that we understand that that's where true love for the Lord is forged in that fire, in that, that moment, that conduit. I remember I came back from Guatemala, a changed young man in 1987. And it's amazing because what happens is the Lord, <laughs> it's just the beauty of the Lord. You're serving, you're doing something for the kingdom, you're impacting the kingdom. And you personally are being more blessed and more blown away and more changed and impacted than anybody you're talking to. It's the beauty of the Lord because it's the beauty of the conduit. When the water passes through the pipe, the pipe's needs are being met. Just passing through and letting it go through. We're just a pipe. The Lord moving through us and our needs are met. Does this make sense? Well, good. We'll talk about Pergamos next week then. Lord, we ask for your blessing on us tonight. That we might not just hear these words in our head, but actually in our heart as well. For those of us that are in the middle of a crushing, God, give us strength. Like Paul, like Peter, like everyone in the Word, that they didn't pray to be delivered from it. They prayed that you would be glorified in it. And that is our prayer tonight, God, that we wouldn't run from it. We would embrace it, embrace you in it, and that you could be glorified right in the middle of it. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world tonight in Haiti, with the pastor LaFleur for our friends at Hands and Feet, and for the folks in Rwanda, and for our friends right here in Middle Tennessee and Columbia, Place of Hope, Lord, that the things that they're going through too, God, that you would be with them and that they would hold fast, that they would overcome, that we would overcome, that we would ultimately receive that crown of life, that reward. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our last November offering. We can just put the bucket right in the middle. Um, if you're new here, the way this works is one, well, basically 90% of the offering. So whatever comes in, we give 90% of it away right into the front lines of the kingdom. We are very, very interested in serving those that are in need in our community and around the world. So if you've, the Lord has put something on your heart, the bucket is right there. This is not a high pressure thing. Just this is what we do. We give it away. And every month we have a report of how much we gave away. We've been able to do so far several thousand dollars in the last two and a half months uh, into amazing causes. I mean, amazing things are going on right now. We've become almost like a supply line in a battle. We're feeding supplies to the front lines. That's what we're doing here. That's where the name Conduit comes from. I don't get paid. Jeremy doesn't get filled. Nobody gets paid. You know, the Cravens have been so wonderful in, in donating the facility to us. It's been a huge blessing. We're just throwing it right into the front line. So, uh, again, next week, no conduit. Um, please think about buying your tickets in advance. That's kind of our initiative for December, right? We're going to be uh, using the dance as a fundraiser um, for our causes. Uh, be thinking about in January, we're going to start our, our great American conduit yard, Craigslist yard sale. Uh, whatever, that, whatever, the piece of exercise equipment that you're using to hang your clothes on, that uh, computer that's been sitting in the garage for six months and will never be used. Whatever it is, think about those things. And we're going to sell them all in Craigslist. 
and give a, give 100% of the money away. It's going to be huge. So, oh, oh, and one last thing. In December, okay, we weren't able to, because we keep giving all our money away, we didn't have enough to do like a Thanksgiving thing for the folks at Place of Hope. But I've reached out to a couple of pastors here in town, Tom and uh, Gary, and ask if there are maybe a, a family that's in really profound need in our community. Um, I grew up dirt poor, and there were many Christmases where we, you know, like I didn't even like Christmas because, you know, all I, all I get to hear about was everybody else got for Christmas, and, be, and they would, there would come that moment where, well, what did you get for Christmas, Darren? And, uh, sleeping bag, you know, that was it, like something practical. Uh, and so what we want to do is bless somebody in our community. And I don't know, we did it a couple of years ago for a family, it was amazing. Whatever money we have available to do it with, then we'll have a Christmas list from this family, or maybe two families, depending on how much money we have. And then you guys can break up into teams, and we'll give you money from the conduit account, and we'll go and buy those things, and then we'll wrap them, and we'll deliver them to that family, and I promise you, you're gonna blow some kid's mind. We're gonna be the answer to some kid's prayer right now who's praying that you know God can do something for them at Christmas this year. So, you know, it's one family at a time. It's uh, the quote that Philip sent me this week from Mother Teresa. If you can't feed a million families, whatever, 100 families, just feed one. You know, we always think, well, someday I'll be able to, man, we'll just start wherever we are, so. That's going to be in December as well. So, okay. Open mic night, which is December sixteenth-ish. What? Not yeah, right after the, the Christmas fall. We're calling it open mic night because that's all we know to call it. But it's basically a Second Corinthians service without the the tongues and interpretation part. It's the <laughs> everybody brings a song, somebody brings a, you know a, a word, somebody brings a revelation, you know. So, you know, if you've got a poem that night or, man, the Lord just blew you away this week with something you've never heard before, maybe it's your testimony, what God did in your life. I don't know what it is, um, but that's going to be on December 9th, and we'll send out an email where you can sign up, get a five-minute deal, there'll be like a Senate debate, right? You get like five minutes and then you got to be done. But um, even if the spirit is moving, you still have to be done. Um, and that's December 9th, so that'll be, honestly, I'm excited about that because we'll see if, you know, we'll get to do church like they used to do and stuff, so, Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're not on our email list, you can sign up here. Uh, you can be kept up to date of what's going on. And that's it. So next week, we'll do this again. Don't worry. We'll do it again in two weeks.